Section 3 of The Curtis Aviation Book by Glenn Curtis and Augustus Post. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 1 Boyhood and Early Experiments of Glenn H. Curtis by Augustus Post. Chapter 3 Building Motors and Motorcycle Racing. In the spring of 1900, Curtis embarked in the bicycle business for himself opening a shop near his old place of employment. This shop soon came to be known as the Industrial Incubator, because experiments of many kinds were tried there, a hatching place for all sorts of new machines. The first one developed was destined to open up to Curtis a new field of action, one that furnished the opportunity for new speed records, and enlarged the scope of his activities beyond the limits of the little town in the valley, and spread before him possibilities as wide as the boundaries of the continent. Curtis had ridden a bicycle in races, and got the utmost speed out of it, but the bicycle, as a man-propelled vehicle, did not travel fast enough to suit him. He therefore set about devising means for increasing its speed possibilities, one day Smelly, his old employer, came into Curtis's shop, tired out and perspiring from his efforts in pedaling his bicycle up the hill. Glenn, he said, I'm going to give the blamed thing up until they get something to push it. That was Curtis's cue, and it promptly became his problem, getting something to push it. He determined to mount a gasoline engine on a bicycle, and at once began to search for the necessary castings. Finally he secured them, and began the task of building a motor. Unfortunately, the man who sold him the castings sent no instructions for building a motor, so the problem was left to Curtis and to those who interested themselves in his work. They studied and planned and made experiments, learning something new about motors all the while. Eventually, with the assistance of local mechanics, the castings were machined and the motor assembled. Curtis afterward described it as a remarkable contrivance, but it did the work. This motor had a two-inch bore and a two-and-a-half-inch stroke, and drove the bicycle wheel by a friction roller pulley. First Curtis made the pulley of wood, then of leather, and finally of rubber. It was tried first on the front wheel and then on the rear one, and so numerous were the changes in and additions to its equipment that the bystanders, and there was the usual number of these, saw only the humorous side of the thing, and declared that it looked like a sort of happy hooligan bicycle, with tin cans hung on wherever there was room. The tomato can again came to the front in Curtis's experiments. It now served to fashion a rough-and-ready sort of carburetor, filled with gasoline and covered over with a gauze screen, which sucked up the liquid by capillary attraction, Thus it vaporized, and was conducted to the cylinder by a pipe from the top of the can. Then came the first demonstration of a bicycle driven by power other than leg muscles, and it attracted almost as much attention in Hammondsport as the first bicycle road race which Curtis had won some years before. The newfangled machine, which the village oracle declared could not be made to go unless the rider put his legs to work, did not promise much of a success on its initial trip. Curtis started off for the post office, but had to pedal all the way there, the motor refusing to do its part. 
Coming from the post office, however, it began popping and shoved the wheels around at an amazing rate, while Curtis sat calmly upright and viewed the excited citizens of Hammondsport as he sped by. That was the beginning of Curtis's motorcycle, but the ambitious inventor did not rest with the first success. Work at the incubator went on unceasingly. The young mechanical genius carried on his regular duties during the days, but spent most of the nights in his experiments. Curtis would not have said that he worked nights, but that he spent his evenings in doping out the best way to build something. He has never changed his habits in this respect. He still dopes out something for the next day or the next month, while resting from his daylight duties, though the process would now be expressed in somewhat more scientific terms. In truth, one may say that Curtis worked all the time. In office or shop hours, like other persons, he did what he had to do, while at other times he did what he wanted to do. Curtis was different only in that he wanted to do those things which other people would call labor. Experimental work was recreation to Curtis, and because of this mental attitude he was able to stick at a task day and night and keep up steam all the while. Curtis seldom planned on paper. Plans seemed to outline themselves in his active mind, and when, later, he became an employer of a number of men, he simply outlined his ideas, describing just what he wanted to accomplish, and left it to their ingenuity. Sometimes one of his assistants would ask him a question, and after standing for minutes as if he had not heard, Curtis would suddenly reply, and outline a task which it would require all day to carry out. Once Curtis had decided that a certain course of action would bring certain mechanical results, it usually turned out that way, and because of this, and the further fact that he was as good a workman as he was a designer, the men he had gathered around him grew to regard his judgment as final, and therefore went ahead with absolute confidence as to the results. There was a remarkable spirit of cooperation in the industrial incubator. This spirit continued through the early years of Curtis's first business successes, and it obtains today in the big Curtis aeroplane and motor factories at Hammondsport. The alertness of the men around Curtis and the atmosphere of cooperation may be due in some measure to the curious interest they always hold as to what he will do next and there is certain to be something out of the ordinary. Thus, work with Curtis seldom becomes monotonous and without its surprises. To go back to the first motor Curtis built, it was quickly found to be too small, and he secured another set of castings as large as he could get. With these he constructed a motor with a cylinder three and a half by five inches and weighing a hundred and ninety pounds, this machine proved to be a terror. It is true that it exploded only occasionally, but when it did it almost tore itself loose from the frame. But it drove the motorcycle as fast as thirty miles an hour, and gained such a remarkable reputation in Hammondsport that a story is still told in the town of the time Curtis made his first trip with it, when it carried him through the village, up over the steep hills, through North Urbana, and as far as Wayne, where it ran out of gasoline and came to a stop of its own accord. Thus Curtis went ahead with his work to construct and improve his motors, and improvement came with each successive one. 
the third motor was better suited to the needs of the bicycle and furnished better results meantime curtis began to receive inquiries and even some orders and business took a decidedly favorable turn judge munro wheeler took a great liking to the young man who used to come over to his office to get the judge's stenographer to typewrite his letters and helped him to establish credit at the local bank and in other ways half a dozen fellow townsmen became interested enough in curtis's motorcycle experiments to put money into the business and within a short time a little factory was built on the hill back of grandma curtis's house it was an inconvenient place to put up a factory and all the heavy material was hauled up to it with some difficulty but the light finished product which in this case could go under its own power rolled down the steep grade without trouble in spite of these little obstacles in spite of the fact that hammond's port is located at the end of a little branch railroad which seems to the visitor to run only as the spirit moves the engineer in spite of every handicap the business grew rapidly curtis was by this time happily married and mrs curtis helped with the office work at the factory which stood then as it does to-day at the very back door of the old curtis homestead on the hillside curtis used to take out his best motorcycle in these days and go off alone to all the motorcycle races held in that section of the state incidentally he scooped in all the prizes for he had the fastest machine and he was a finished rider on memorial day in nineteen o three curtis ventured farther afield for an event that brought him his first notices in the big newspapers of new york city he entered and won a hill-climbing contest at new york city on riverside drive and immediately afterward mounted his wheel rode up the hudson to another race at empire city track and won that also this gave him the american championship later at providence rhode island he established a world's record for a single-cylinder motorcycle covering a mile in fifty-six and two-fifths seconds while this was phenomenal speed it was as nothing in comparison with the record he was soon to establish he built a two-cylinder motor and on january twenty eighth nineteen o four at ormond beach florida he rode ten miles in eight minutes fifty four and two fifth seconds and established a world's record that stood for more than seven years curtis was not content even with this he wanted to travel faster than man had ever traveled before he had built a forty horsepower eight-cylinder motor for a customer who wanted it to put in a flying machine which he was building and in order to try out the motor curtis built an especially strong motorcycle using an automobile tire on the rear wheel and a motorcycle tire on the front wheel on a strong frame the big forty horsepower motor was mounted it was not given a thorough tryout at Hammondsport, for it was winter and the snow lay deep on the roads. With the aid of some of his shopmen, Curtis took the freak machine out on the snow-covered roads merely for the purpose of seeing if it could be started as it was geared in the machine. It proved that it would start all right, and so it was hurriedly boxed and rushed to the train, which was actually kept waiting several minutes. Curtis was going south to make new records, and even the railroad men on the little branch road from Hammondsport to Bath felt an interest in his undertaking. 
This, by the way, is typical of the way things are done at Hammond's Port. When there is need for rushing matters, the men work night and day without complaint. These last-moment rushes are often due to the giving of much thought to the details before commencing to build, and sometimes because in building improvements which must be incorporated suggest themselves. Curtis's rule, as he expresses it, is, what is the need of racing unless you think you are going to win, and if you are beaten before you start, why take the chance? But there are other considerations for the builder of racing machines to take into account. If your competitors know what you are doing, and they will know somehow if you give them a little time, they will go you one better. Therefore this belated activity at the Curtis factory is not always without its motive. Take, for instance, the first big international race for the Gordon Bennett Aviation Trophy, which Curtis won at Rheim, France, in 1909. In spite of the fact that Curtis's motor was built in a great hurry, barely giving the necessary time to finish it and reach Rheim for the race, Blériot, the chief French builder of the monoplane type, changed his motor as soon as he had read a description of the one Curtis was to use. The motorcycle which Curtis had built and mounted with the eight-cylinder motor proved to be a world-beater, the fastest vehicle ever built to carry a man. It was taken to Ormond Beach, Florida, where it was tried out on the smooth, sandy shore, which stretches for miles, as level as a billiard-table and almost as hard as asphalt. Here, on January 24, 1907, Curtis mounted the heavy, ungainly vehicle, and travelled a mile in twenty-six and two-fifths seconds, at the rate of one hundred and thirty-seven miles an hour. This stands today as the speed record for man and machine. Curtis, without goggles and with no special precautions in the matter of costume, simply mounted the seat, took a two-mile running start before crossing the line, and was off. Bending so low over the handlebars that he almost seemed to be lying flat, and merged into a part of the machine itself, he flashed over the one-mile course in less time than it takes to read these dozen lines. This speed trial was the culmination of weeks of study, work, and experiment. Day after day, and even at night, Curtis had schemed and worked, now to get the weight properly placed and balanced, here to strengthen the frame and overcome the danger from the torque and the tendency to turn the machine over, and finally to obtain the right sort of tires and to put them on securely. Ordinary tires, on wheels revolving at such an amazing speed, would have been cast off the rims like a belt off a pulley by the centrifugal force. These, and a thousand other details, were worked out so thoroughly that the machine, when ready, required very little testing out. In describing the trial, Curtis said that he could see nothing but a streak of grey beach in front of him, a blur of hills on one side, and the white ribbon of foaming surf on the other. The great crowd that watched the smoking, whirring thing that flashed by, as if fired from a great gun, caught but a fleeting glimpse of Curtis. The record could not be accepted as official because the motor was too big and powerful to be classed as a motorcycle engine. It therefore stands as an absolutely unique performance, unequaled and not even approached as regards speed, 
until three years later, when Barney Oldfield, driving a 200-horsepower Benz automobile, covered a mile over the same course in 27 and 3300 seconds. Curtis had developed, improved, and exhausted the motorcycle as far as speed possibilities were concerned, and was soon to give it up for something of far greater potential possibilities, the aeroplane. End of Section 3. Recording by Maria Casper.